Buying a home is an important milestone. Find the right realtor and the right listings for your needs at todayshomebc.com. Powered by Black Press Media. With easy-to-use search filters and direct links to realtors and their websites, you'll get all the information you need to find your perfect home. Search hundreds of local listings and get access to the top real estate professionals to help you find your perfect property. Get started now at todayshomebc.com. Welcome to Off the Page, a weekly podcast produced by the Comox Valley Record. I'm Erin Halschuk, a journalist with the record. Join me as we take a deeper look into the people and stories within the Comox Valley. So Terrence James is a Comox Valley author who recently completed the book Dr. John Bindernagel, Sasquatch Discovered, a biography set to be published in the near future by Surrey-based Hancock House Publishers. John passed away in 2018 but left a legacy behind by bringing a strong scientific scope and analysis to his research. Welcome to the podcast, Terrence. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. So I know in the late 80s, John and his wife found several Sasquatch tracks on Vancouver Island in really good condition, and he made some plaster casts from those tracks, which he provided was some of the first physical evidence of the existence of the Sasquatch. In your experience, looking at how you met John, what was some of your first reactions to what John was providing? Well, I was intrigued. You know, John had a distinguished career as a scientist working internationally for the United Nations Food and Agricultural Organization. He'd been a consultant biologist in a number of countries. He brought a wealth of professional experience with him. He chose to come to this part of BC after researching where the most sightings were for Sasquatch. And the place everybody knew about was Harrison Hot Springs. And there was a lot of research going on there. But the second area was the corridor between Comox Valley and Campbell River and the Strathcona Park area. The coastal habitat he considered to be very rich for potential Sasquatch observations. And so he moved to this area and conducted his research out of Courtney. Few people knew of his experiences and the way in which his name was known throughout not only North America, but elsewhere in the world as well for his work with Sasquatch. I had a pleasure of 25 years of friendship where we used to hike together and it was great being out in the woods with him and we used to review scientific observations on Sasquatch and I had what I considered to be a very exciting professional relationship because it was outside of my field of expertise and it was nothing but learning for me and John was a very good teacher. Which kind of leads me to my next question was, how did you guys meet and what is your background? How did that connection happen? Well, we met through the connection of our daughters who were the same age and they had a friendship. I remember my daughter's reaction at being at their house and she described going downstairs to the deep freeze with Sarah, his daughter, to get some ice cream out of the deep freeze. And when the lid of the chest freezer was opened up, she saw something she'd never seen before, and that was a bat splayed on a board inside the deep freeze. 
along with other specimens, and the ice cream. She came home and she said, Dad, I think you would really like Mr. Binderdockel. That was sort of the beginning. Take me through a bit of the process of when you decided to write a book. Was this something that you two had planned together and then he passed on, or was this something that you always wanted to do as a reflection of him independently? No, it was his desire that the story of the ongoing discovery of Sasquatch be recorded. He felt his life's work was incomplete. He was working right up until the end. He was still receiving reports from people, and he would have loved to have been out investigating, but he couldn't. And he was really concerned about getting as much information out as possible. We talked about what a book might look like. My feeling was that it needed to be a biography. And the first time we got together to look at an outline of what it might look like, he had a whole bunch of things that he wanted to be sure were included in the book, none of which were about him and were all about Sasquatch. So I reworked that and I said, John, if we're going to do it as a biography, there's information I need to know about you and your background, your upbringing, your childhood, your education, why you went to Africa. I said, there's a whole host of things that people will want to know about you. And yes, the book will involve the Sasquatch story. There are groups of people like the Aboriginal community he always found very supportive because people in the Aboriginal community understood and believed in Sasquatch. But when we look at his scientific colleagues, they did not believe that there was a great ape in North America. John's hypothesis was that the Sasquatch was North America's great ape. Since nobody had produced a cadaver, and they didn't have any scientific evidence of there being a great ape in North America. They just dismissed everything. But John was first and foremost a wildlife biologist, and he looked at evidence, and footprint evidence was one of the things that gave testimony to any animal being in an area. And he was fortunate enough to find some track casts in a very serendipitous way in Strathcona Park. He and his wife, Joan, were chaperoning a group of students. It was on that hike that they came across some impressions in a muddy area. And John had to wait three days to finish the hike and get back up there with his plaster of Paris in order to cast those footprints. He got two good casts out of that. And one of those casts is on the cover of the book. And speaking of the book, as you were doing your research, I spoke to John briefly about this as he's got, you know, like you mentioned, quite the academic, quite the scientific background, holds a PhD. And I know he had mentioned many times that there's such a scientific taboo about some of the evidence that he had around Sasquatches. Did you ever see him getting frustrated at the scientific community, despite of all the evidence that he collected and all of the proof that he had? Well, he was always frustrated with the scientific community. Yes, that was part and parcel of many discussions while we were walking in the woods, sitting and having an ice cream cone. Anytime he felt like dumping, I would listen. Yeah, there was a great frustration. Did he ever figure out a way to break that barrier? 
the difficulty he had was when he would submit in order to attend a conference, there were gatekeepers, you know, scientific peers who would say no because there's no evidence to support that Sasquatch exists. So he was prevented from talking at scientific conferences. However, he had a great following, particularly in the U.S., amongst Bigfooters. They invited him to many conferences as a guest speaker. He went because it was his way of keeping abreast of what research was actually happening. It wasn't the academics or the scientists that were doing the research. It was lay people that were out in the woods, and now they're out there with cameras, and they're getting pictures out there in the woods now. And that's where the real information is coming from, not from the PhD scientists. And I know in John's work, like you've mentioned, particularly in the U.S., he's made a couple of appearances on the History Channel and things like that. And he kept doing so many interviews and just trying to get his work out. Why do you think the scientific and the academic community questioned his work so much? Well, I don't think it was that they were questioning his work specifically per se. I think it was that they were questioning the existence of Sasquatch. It suffered from a lot of bad press. There were the fakes that happened, plywood foot casts that were stomped in snow and mud. Yet people glommed onto that, laughing and saying that it's just a hoax, it's just a joke but never looking at the real evidence of all the foot casts that have been collected from many states and are available in research labs now where they've been studied. You know, they know anatomically that the size of the feet support an animal or a hominid, whatever we want to describe it as, uh, between six and 800 pounds. They're supporting large beings. So there is scientific evidence, but I think it's been contaminated by the news media and the way it's being laughed about and treated as something akin to UFO sightings or Elvis sightings. People laugh about it. CanadianEvergreen.com is your trusted news source for all things green, offering up-to-date news and stories from Canada's booming cannabis industry. Content you can trust from Black Press Media. And in terms of his own research and what he has done over the course of his career, how do you think his work and his legacy will live on? It's interesting. In the book, I sort of have a concluding chapter that looks at that in part. Many people will remember John for being the person that he was. He was honest. He was enthusiastic. He was a friend. He had done a lot of community work, and he was always available to help somebody and give a kind word. He's going to be remembered as much for the personal qualities and characteristics of being a great human being on the one hand, and then on the other hand, Anybody in the field of Sasquatch research will know the name of John Binternockel because he's one of the great ones in terms of the length of time and the publications and the work that he has done. His name ranks up there with the best of them. And in terms of your book, what do you hope it does? I hope it reflects on who John really 
was as a person. I hope that people will read the book and have a great appreciation for who he was. In the Comox Valley, there are some people that know of the work that he'd done, but his work was widespread. Few people probably know that he was invited to Russia to consult over there. But in 2011, he had gone over there along with a couple of American researchers to an international conference, and he got to lecture there, and he got to go out into the field and examine evidence there. For him, it was a highlight, but it's not something that's widely spread. John actually saw a Sasquatch when he was invited as a guest down in the southeast U.S. on a project. But he always said that even though he saw the Sasquatch and he's convinced, he only saw the part that was from the waist up and it was moving in some low brush and went behind a tree. So he said he doesn't have a photograph. He has the memory of seeing it and he knows what he saw. He never talked about that because it wasn't solid evidence. Footcasts, on the other hand, are easily documented. They're physical evidence. He would always put his weight on that type of evidence as opposed to the other. He did very, very thorough research and looked at sightings over the last 150 years, newspaper sightings and where they have taken place and the impact on people. And it's interesting, in the end, John never wanted to tell people that he was sick. And it wasn't until getting very close to the end that he finally said it's time to let people know but he wanted to keep receiving reports, even though he knew he wouldn't be able to follow up on them. When people read the book, they will get a picture of who John was, all his many roles that he has played. And I really want them to appreciate the whole person. John was a wonderful man. He was a man of faith. He had a calling to be a wildlife biologist. He was concerned that he had the backs for the scientists that would not accept there was a Sasquatch, but he never belittled them or besmeared them in public. He had their backs. He covered for them, even though they were not supporting him. That's the type of guy he was. Do you think the book, for those people who, whether they are labeled as skeptics, whether they are questioning the science, whether they just don't believe, what do you think John would say and what do you say with your book for those people who dismiss the concept that Sasquatches do exist? Well, I think when they read the book, there's a bit of indictment of professional scientists for their rejection of the possibility all John ever wanted was the opportunity to dialogue, to sit and talk with them, to share evidence. He didn't get that opportunity very often, simply because he was dismissed. And I hope that by reading the book, people will have a sense of his pain that he went through with respect to the scientific community. I think that, you know, he will be vindicated. At some point, somebody's going to shoot a Sasquatch. He always had a great concern about that. There are reports of people who have had a Sasquatch in the crosshairs of the rifle, but they couldn't pull the trigger because it was just too human. And yet John's fear was that someday somebody will. 
but somebody's going to want to make money off it. Somebody's going to be proud of what they've done, and they will go down in history for doing it, probably. But John was not one that favored the idea of killing. Well, thank you so much, Terrence. Really appreciate your time and sharing your memories and honoring John's story as well. Thank you very much for coming on today. That's a pleasure. Thanks for speaking with me. That's this edition of Off the Page, produced by the Comox Valley Record. Thank you for joining us. If you have suggestions for topics or guests, we would like to hear from you. Email us at offthepage at comoxvalleyrecord.com. CanadianEvergreen.com is your trusted news source for all things green, offering up-to-date news and stories from Canada's booming cannabis industry. Content you can trust from Black Press Media.